Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. The Defender ST is a brand new micro red dot from Vortex Optics. You need to check it out for this turkey season. I just got my hands on one of these bad boys. It's a three MOA dot, super low profile red dot sight that weighs just 1.5 ounces with the battery. I started running a red dot on my turkey gun a couple years ago. It really helps with sight picture. It helps me stay focused on the target and see exactly what I'm aiming at. So, you know, my shotgun bead's not covering up the whole bird. And it also makes it easier when I'm taking other people who are maybe less familiar with the shotgun. Anyone can pick up a red dot and immediately know exactly how to use it. And I especially like this one because it has a battery runtime of 25,000 hours. This is an ultra durable red dot sight with an anodized aluminum body that protects it against anything that you can throw at it in the turkey woods. And I'm highly abusive to my gear in the turkey woods, so I'm excited to have a, a beefed up, really tough red dot sight like this on my shotgun. Y'all can go check them out at vortexoptics.com. And hey, if you want to order this or any other Vortex product and get a discount, go to midwayusa.com and use the promo code southern for a discount on your order again that's promo code southern for a discount on any vortex product from midwayusa.com meadow creek mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun and one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun i personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me one thing i personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Now I'm a southern child You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Stories. we got a really cool one on for you uh, for this week's podcast. Uh, first one, I think... Well, the first one we've had on the show so far from South Carolina, we've got Mr. Blake Morton on the show. Blake, how you doing, brother? I'm uh, pretty good. How about y'all? Oh, man, not as good as you, man. You three, three big bucks down now. Come on. Uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty good, I would say. Oh, man. Oh, uh, like, yeah. Like, I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like, sound like our buddy, man. Can't complain. Living the dream. Yeah, living that's the it. living the dream. Well, Blake, to kind of kick us off, I just want to ask you, uh, how long have you been a, a listener of the show? Uh, I think I discovered y'all's podcast uh, right when our season ended. I was, you know, going through deer depression and uh, <laughs> kind of need something to pick me back up. So I forgot. I think I might have seen it on Facebook, and then I checked it out. And man, I listened to pretty much every episode <laughs> back. You know, 
<laughs> awesome. Well, what are some uh, what are some episodes that kind of stuck with you, uh, kind of heading into this deer season? Um, for one, you know, I won't go with the infamous Glenn Solomon's podcast one sixteen. That you know, just kind of getting into the thick stuff, you know, and just doing something different. I mean, I have private, but you know, private still has its challenges too. And you know, it's where I hunt is pretty precious. I got neighbors that are, you know, blow the spots off of them and such. <laughs> oh, and man. Uh, another one, Andre DeQuisto's episode. Actually, the day that one dropped, I shot a book. That that same day it dropped. Uh, I got him. But uh, yeah, his was uh, very helpful in what I was trying to do. And then there was episode 178, Overlooked Spots, or, you know, just the kind of stuff in plain sight when, let's say, if you're saying like y'all, you know, somebody hunting public, hunting close to like a parking spot or something, just getting like the legal limit off the road. And actually, that's where I shot the second book. And then uh, Troy Pottinger's the scrape master class i ran about uh i think i got six or seven mock scrapes right now and uh that first buck i shot i sent to andrew the video of that deer i had six or seven videos just like that, that was a mock scrape i hung actually hung it in january and they kind of started hitting it then but i didn't have a camera on it uh and eric mcgee you know another south carolina guy his was helpful, and Nathan killing, and you know, man, I kind of used something, maybe a piece from like every episode, and just kind of like started putting things together. Awesome. Well, that, that's cool, especially how you're able piece different things apart from different guys from different parts of the country because some of those guys of course don't even live in the southeast but we had them on the show just to kind of share their knowledge um which is awesome to kind of see how you could apply some of that and kind of learn different things from those episodes as have we you know kind of learning stuff especially from like troy pottinger and even andre dequisto those are two episodes that you know the guys you know can't really relate with us in the southeast of kind of stuff we go through uh just with the regional you know differences but uh just kind of what they do and kind of the confidence they have when they hunt is is huge and definitely you can apply that down here and have success like yourself it seems like um but blake i want to ask you you know how you know you talk about you've been listening to the show now for almost a year be i guess a year uh just uh and probably a month or two um what has been some of the biggest takeaways that you've learned uh just from listening to the show Versus kind of maybe what you've done in the past and, you know, maybe what has changed with you kind of mentally wise uh, over this last year or so. Uh, for starters, uh, before I started listening to y'all's podcast, I didn't know what <laughs> thermals were. I was like confused. You know, I'd never heard of it. But then once I started hearing it and kind of, you know, breaking it down and paying attention to thermals, I noticed my hunting changed a lot. I've, I've kept a log this year of every hunt, and I've seen more deer this year than I think I have in the past four or five years. Just paying attention to thermals and what they're going to do, where I'm at, and I actually started paying attention to wind. Because before, like, if I wanted to hunt a spot, I was just going to dive in there, you know. And, you know, it chances of paying off are very slim. But when I started kind of calculating, like, all my stands I went through and you know, what winds I could hunt on this stand and what the thermals would do in the morning, you know, versus the evening. And, you know, what was bad for me for, you know, 
win wise for the location where I just bypassed it. So once I started, like I heard somebody say, I can't remember who it was, but small steps kill big deer. And you know, it's the it's the little details like wind and you know access. That's another big thing. I you know I just normal deer hunting. You know, what's the easiest way to get here? But you know, you sometimes you got to get creative and you know put them boots to the ground. You know, <laughs> improvise. Absolutely. So uh, I want to ask this real quick, and then I want to start jumping into the deer that you shot. But uh, like you, you had like really, really good success this year. And one thing that I always wonder about guys who you know kind of flip that switch and they start really you know killing some nice deer was it. What the stuff that you changed? Did you change like a few really big things, or did you change like a ton of small things to like make uh, that difference? It was some big and small. Um, I started running more cameras. You know, I think I got sixteen cams out right now. Only you know five or six different little small properties. I don't have any like huge. I think the biggest parcel on it might be sixty-five acres, all the way down to like ten. Oh, wow. And last year I shot. I shot a 205-pound eight-point off the ground last year at, like, 45 yards off that 14 acres. Wow. And then I, uh, I, yeah, back to which, I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. You're good. good. Back to the trail cam, you know, just, like, small details, like, you know, like I say, access and then win and, you know, uh, getting in there slightly earlier you know in the evenings if i felt like it was a good evening versus kind of like lagging around dragging around you know um and the i'd say the biggest component was like the the off-season scouting you could ask my wife i mean i don't think from january until now there was a a weekend or a couple weekdays in that that i wasn't doing something unrelated you know like far as scouting and hanging stands and you know i don't i don't have any food plots or anything so just a lot of a lot of scouting and walking and trying to piece the puzzles together, you know, finding trails and such. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't think I found a, a bed yet, but I know that bear, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and things. I've been looking, but I ain't seen one yet. Yeah. Now, I was supposed to ask you about your deer now, but I have to ask, uh, what are some things that you found in the summer that stayed relevant into the fall? Because I feel like every summer I'd – I go and, go and scout a bunch, and uh, I end up scouting a bunch of stuff that ends up being completely useless in the fall. So, what what yeah. are some things that carried over well for you? Um, like finding, well, finding like layers. That, you know, there is like a buck's core area in the summer. Like I know he's not here now, but you know, going in there and like, all right, I found all these rubs. I found what I believe to be this deer's you know escape trail coming back out of this this little uh marsh kind of thicket you know i found it well actually i found it in february but just you know stuff like that um really the main thing is mineral sites and stuff just kind of gather gather an inventory of what's around you know i think that was a key component and then just pretty much walking man <laughs> you got to get out there and look for it yeah. and when it's hot when it's hot you don't want to do it you know you got to you got to dive out there so let's uh 
Let's dive into your season a little bit. Um, man, Andrew's not very excited about this. He's over here. He's like, man, let's just dive into the season. Let's dive into this ridiculous season you've had. Come on now. I want to know, Blake, dude, what uh, – you were talking about there's a Jake lot – fired up, dude, There's a lot that's clicked for you, it seems like, over this last, you know, eight, nine months uh, and kind of different yeah. things you've kind of taken away. Let me, let me ask before Andrew dives into this deer. What, again, what was – and maybe maybe I'm asking something that's already been answered, but I'm just going to ask again. What was the biggest thing that has clicked for you this season compared to maybe what you've done in the years past? Uh, understanding thermals and wind direction. I say that's probably the biggest because you know a hunt can be ruined before it even gets started with a bad wind. <laughs> you know. Okay, I'll take this a step further. If you could, if you could explain now that you understand thermals, if you could explain thermals to yourself at this time last year. What would you say? Uh, I actually heard this phrase on another podcast. Uh, I think I don't want to quote exactly who said it because I'm pro- I'll probably be wrong. But think of it as uh, water flowing over rocks, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you know, kind of how the thermals kind of deflecting, you know, and rolling around this, and you know, that's the best example I could kind of put for it. But, I, you know, just the basics of, you know, when, you know, y'all know just like I do, when it when it gets warmer, the thermals are going to rise, and in the evening, it's finally started making sense, you know, going off past hunts, you know, in the past, like, all right, why well, was this staying so much better in the evening versus the morning time? And then I was like, oh, okay, I never, you know, I, I, I didn't uh, have this happen in the morning where I might get busted or something. Versus the evening, where it could kind of be like the same scenario, but it really wouldn't be that big a deal from how I was set up as far as my that stand location. You know, I had somewhere where I knew where the deer were going to come out, and and then I started kind of piecing. All right, my thermals are here, and I've had deer. You know, even with the thermals dropping, I've had deer. You know, six or seven yards from the stand, you know, below me, and they still never spook. You know, and I'm another big component of you know you can't really get rid of all your scent a deer is gonna bust you if you get downwind chances are you're gonna get busted and it sucks but you know it's kind of the reality <laughs> of deer hunting you know yeah yeah learn from that mistake but kind of i want to jump into like where andrew was trying to go in earlier and we totally i totally derailed that <laughs> but um let's, let's go over like some of these bucks so you know kind of starting at the beginning of the season you know maybe what were some of your goals and then how did you go on and kind of harvest that or kill that first deer that you shot um and i'll just kind of let you take it from there all right. Uh, initially, my goal was to shoot five really nice deer, and I still I'm over halfway there. You know, so there's still some time left. But that was my goal to shoot five really nice bucks, and I've done somewhat decent this year. You know, I, I'm not complaining by no means, but I kind of you know that was my goal to kind of you know something to kind of prove to myself that I could do it. I like the challenge of it, <laughs> you know, shooting some of, you know, the top deer in the neighborhood is what I go for. It's not really always about the rack, but if a deer is mature, I'll smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> I surely will. But besides that, you know, just becoming a better hunter, that was another goal. And I try to learn something from every trip. Even if I didn't see a deer, what did I learn from this trip? You know? Like, oh, I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't do that. Oh, I should have done this versus, you know, an example. I should have grunted 
when I didn't or vice versa. I shouldn't have and kind of, cause that's the only way you're going to learn is by failing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I've had some, some terrible experiences in the past. <laughs> so just trying to become a better hunter and be successful and just try to always learn something no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's so critical. And I always, always try to learn something new every time you get in the woods and kind of what did you learn from experience? If it, if it didn't play out, what happened? Maybe what did you do wrong or what, you know, what kind of caused the, the hunt not to go the way you wanted to go? But, you know, to try to get over to this first deer that you shot, um, you know, first off, you know, was there anything specific uh, from the show that had been talked about in the show that you kind of started applying that kind of applied towards that first book that you killed? Oh, uh, the first book was, uh, whose episode was it? About the backtracking deal? Oh, Jeff Back- Holman. Jeff Holman. Yeah, backtracking books. Oh, uh, the video I sent you, like I said, I had seven or eight. And I knew he was close because I just had too many videos of him not to be somewhere close in his home range. And the day I, I shot him, October 9th, we have a pretty much useless 10-day muzzleloader season. But that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but, um. So, yeah, I went there it was October the 9th. It was a Friday, and I got to stand. I can't remember, really remember the time. I got there probably around 4.30, I'm assuming, when I got off work, 4.45. And it was kind of overcast today, and, you know, the wind was right for that location. I got there. I actually, I had a that mock scrape that the video he was in. I actually went and checked it before I got in the stand. Like, I went over there and peed in it. <laughs> And pulled a card and you know swapped the card out, and then I uh, checked another camera next to that one, and then I went and got in the stand or whatever. And he uh, probably an hour and a half later, I was sitting there, and believe it or not, he actually I saw a, a fawn. He like he just lost his spots. I mean, it couldn't have been two weeks out of losing his spots, and I saw her, and then. I saw another deer behind and I was like, oh, that's probably mama. But believe it or not, it was him. <laughs> so he, I've been baffled this whole time trying to figure out what was making him follow this, this phone <laughs> by me, especially this early in the season. So that's leading me to believe maybe these deer start rutting sometime in October and it just kind of carries from pretty much October to November, the, you know, the first stage of the rut. Now you were talking about how Jeff Homan uh, kind of listened to that episode, which that was an episode from uh, you know last year. That was in 2019, yeah. uh, kind of summer of 2019. I don't remember the exact episode number, but um, really good episode. We had a lot of really good feedback from that. And his whole topic of that episode is how he uses trail cameras uh, in the deep south on public land. And also some of his private, but how, how to backtrack a deer back to kind of his core bedding area. Um, and he's been extremely successful with that. So you said that was impactful for you on that deer. Kind of ha- what did yeah. you use from like what he had talked about uh, to maybe kind of apply towards, you know, putting yourself in that position? Yeah. Um, I had the scrape camera I mentioned, and I had the second secondary camera pretty much close. And I would move it every two or three weeks just to see if I would pick him up on that one too. And I just kind of started going from there. Once, all right, I got a picture or two of them here. I'd move it again, you know, kind of closer. And then I'd either get a picture of them or I didn't. And I'd move it again. And I had another camera on video on another scrape on the other end of the property. And I actually picked them up on that one. So I kind of shrunk it down to like about three or four acres, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was in a, a oak flat. 
it rains white oaks in there. So I figured if I played my cards right and I didn't booger it up, he'd slip by me. And it was the actually that virgin sit Andre the Cristo talks about and put the wham on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I feel like just from my personal experience hunting, you know, hunting clubs, uh, kind of growing up and hunting, you know, our family farm, you know, it's yeah. even on smaller properties. Our family farm that I grew up hunting was only 89 acres. And, you know, it always seemed like kind of growing up, Uncle, my uncle's, when he, he was running trail cameras and stuff, you know, even like old film cameras, uh, yeah. you know, he'd be putting cameras out and they were in the same spot all year long. Nobody would ever move them. And yeah. when Jeff, when we first heard Jeff talk about this, how he could start, you know, moving cameras back towards where this buck's coming from, you know, kind of whole, his whole premise is he puts cameras out in high odds areas that are funnels, you know, on the landscape. If he catches a buck exactly. on there, he figures out which way he's going. If it's in the morning and he's, you know, it's an hour, two hours before, uh, you know, before light, you know, it's walking yeah. back towards his bed. He'd walk that direction, put the camera out, you know, another 50 to 100 yards and try to catch him. If it's in the evening, yeah. vice versa, you know, an hour or two after it's after dark, he's going to be walking 50 to 100 yards, you know, towards the direction that deer came from, put the camera back out and see what happens. Um, when he's, when we had him on that episode, I thought it would work so well on private land when you had access to whole private land, whether it was on a club lease or just your own property and how you could do that. And it seems like it worked quite well for you trying to be able to find that four or five acres where he might be holding up in, um, so, when did you know to finally kind of go in there and hunt them and throw a stand up? Uh, the stand was hung. I actually hung the stand the previous year. But, like I said, backtracking made me kind of really put, had me ready to put a lot of time in it. Even though I really, I didn't have to on that deal. But I was prepared to, you know, throw a couple sits at them and try to make it happen. And I think somebody else mentioned it about uh, in another episode. You know, if you the chance uh, feeling like you can kill a certain deer, because there have been certain deer I had in the past, I was like, I'm probably not gonna kill this deer. But some of them I felt very confident about. So on the flip side of that, I felt very confident that I would get a crack at him at least once if all the cards went right. You know. Uh, so again, the backtracking kind of seemed to work on that deer. You know, kind of applying that there. Is that something? By the way, have you ever tried doing that before, uh, or is that I, something that just kind of clicked with his episode? It clicked with his episode. Okay. I did, it, it never crossed my mind to try to do such a thing. You know, I was like the conventional deer hunter. I, you know, I, I consider myself halfway decent to start with, but I feel like once I kind of, you know, started hearing other guys and, and learning, and like I say, you know, you could hear it all day, but that still don't make you going to kill a deer. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to kind of spin it to where you are, you know, in the country, to what you got going on. Because, you know, Southern deer ain't like Midwest deer and all, you know, you can rattle and chances are you're going to rattle in 12 different bucks and, you know, all that jazz. <laughs> you have to, you know, adapt to your surroundings and have to, you know, kind of see what works and see what doesn't work. Yeah, it's very different down here and you definitely have to apply, you know, some of the tactics you hear from different guys across the country. You have to apply them differently, you know, for your area and hopefully you kind of at least know your deer and kind of how they're going to react to different things and how you can, you know, apply some of these different thoughts and, and tactics. Um, so, again, with that first buck, kind of the backtracking, you know, seemed to be a really big key on him. Now, let's go over to that second deer that you shot. You know, kind of what's the story on that and, you know, what were some of the things, you know, some of the takeaways that you kind of used to apply for that deer? Right by the right. All right. A um, couple of key points on that hunt. Things that I learned about deer. Um, I actually, when I shot the deer, well, I start from the beginning. I had um, a bachelor group 
probably two miles up the road from where I shot the deer. And he disappeared, you know, uh, when the velvet come off, probably two weeks after the velvet come off, he disappeared. Never seen him again. And I think that day that episode dropped was October 19th. I, I, I hung this set over the summer. Um, I actually found it. The guys around here where I live, they do a simple man squirrel tournament every February. And me and a buddy were squirrel hunting. I kind of found uh, that uh, exit trail I mentioned earlier. You know, I had a couple rubs on it. And I said, okay. So I marked it on Onyx. And I come back uh, probably in March sometime, I think. Um, and I kind of walked around and scouted it. And I actually, I put a mark on the tree. I was like, all right, I'm going to hang a set right here on this tree. You know, there was rubs everywhere. I was like, this looks like a really prime time, you know, buck area or buck bed. And I hung that and he shifted, like I said, and I hadn't hunted. I needed a southwest wind to, uh, or west wind to get in there to hunt that stand. And I never got it and I never got it. <laughs> and I listened to Andre's episode and he was like, you know, about the, you can actually go in the area and kind of, you know, do a little boogering. And it still kind of be a virgin set. So yet again, I got there that evening. I actually got off work early. And I heard, you know, I was listening to that episode and I said, to hell with it. I'm going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I dove in that spot and I got, I got off work, I think, at like two that evening. And I got there, got set up and all. When I, before I got in the stand, I went, I had hung a camp. I made another mock scrape and I don't put anything in them. I just pee in them. And, <laughs> you know, and it works. So I've done that deal. I went and pulled a card and peed in the scrape. All right, life's good. I'm actually, I went and sat down in the stand. Probably 30 minutes go by. I'm actually rolling through the videos, you know, I pull, you know, checking the card. And I glance up and I got a flash of like horn. And I said, uh-oh. And, you know, it's early. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I said, it, it's three something. It was just, uh, well, I'll get to that, that in a second. I'm getting too ahead of myself. But uh, he come out, and I got a flash. And so I, I get up, and I'm looking. I'm looking. And then he, he actually goes and checks that scrape I just pissed in, you know, 30 minutes ago. And then he, he, he left the scrape, and he started making his way to me. But I got he got like a sense that something wasn't right. So I went ahead and sent one his way before he got a chance to bound off. <laughs> and uh, he folded like a cheap suit. <laughs> what what did he catch that wasn't right was it your scent i believe it so he just he knew something i don't know deer seems like they have like six cents when something ain't right you know they get to he'd never seen me but his body language was telling me he was just like he just kind of froze up for a second yeah you know and he was just like and i saw him i actually got a good look at his rack he was facing me and i started getting them shakes you know what i'm talking about <laughs> i was like oh man this is a this is a stud right here so I went ahead and sent one his way before he could think about getting out of there. So, so on that sit, were you sitting on like quote unquote the wrong wind? I mean, was uh, like you said yeah. you needed a it west was, wind. What was the wind for that hunt? I think it was like some kind of oh, man. I I hate to lie to you. It's I got to rip down the journal outside, but um, it wasn't the right wind I needed. I really don't even remember to be honest with you. I knew it wasn't right though. Mm-hmm. But I said, I'm I'm going to try anyway because I'm just waiting. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to get no results out of it if I don't dive in there. So that one, I don't think you can do that a lot. But I think you can get away with it one or two times. 
really I, I was going to say, Blake, we've had a couple guys on. One that comes to mind is uh, Mr. Jamie McKay uh, from uh, North Alabama. And he's talking about like limited day gun hunts out here in some of these public lands where they only have like a two to three days like in a two-week period that you can actually go out with a rifle and hunt public land or hunt like a parcel of public land um, in this yeah. area. And he's like, dude, I don't care about the wind. He's like, he's like, in that situation, he's like, you know, the wind might not be perfect, yeah. but I'm hunting that spot. You just got to go. Yeah, he's like, the deer, yeah. deer come from 360 degrees around me. He's like, I'm just going to put myself in the, in the situation, the spot. But you can't do yeah. that. I mean, you, 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 yeah, you can't do that every time. But, man, that yeah. first, like Glenn Solomon like talked say, about – if you got limited time, you might as well try. It because... Exactly. You know what? I'm at that point right now in the season because, man, I can only hunt this like... weekend, man. That stuff we were looking at earlier. Yeah, no. I'm telling you, the wind is not going to be right for it. Yeah, but the lied yeah. here. I'm like, oh, it's light and variable because I didn't want you to say no. It's going to be south. It's not going to be good. But we're going to go in there and kill that thing anyway. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, That's all you can do. But uh, so. Man, Andrew, you threw me off with that, man. Way, way to go. Way to go. Um, I'm excited. So, Blake, I want to know a little bit more about this spot because there's a couple things you touched you touched on with this, and you kind of alluded to this earlier in the episode, talking about, like, getting to your stand earlier than normal, you know, not kind of, you know, just dicking around and, you know, oh, I'll get out there, you know, an hour and a half before dark and set up, which, you know, kind of growing up hunting public land or growing up hunting privately, that was a that was a – a common occurrence. Oh, we got 45 minutes, oh, yeah. an hour before dark. Man, I'll go sit out there real quick. Yeah. And you miss all oh, kinds yeah. of stuff. But – um. What what is the setup like? You know, kind of like where? How did this property lay out? Was this something that was like close to the access? You know, you said you found this like way on, like kind of early season or in the summertime, and you you know found the sign yeah. there. But what I was so special it, uh, about this? Um, like I said, I found it in February. Like I said, in the squirrel thing in the beginning, and then I went back in fall and kind of scouted a few more times in the area. But what really brought me to it was like all the the historical signs. Of, I mean, there was rubs everywhere. I counted, you know, 20 or 30 rubs and, you know, two or three acres. It was just, like, monstrous, which makes me think he's been living there a long time. And another thing that come into play was access. When I set this stand up, I was able to walk down a little country paved road where I wouldn't have to blow through, you know, the hardwoods to get to my stand versus hitting that paved road, not really disturbing anything and slipping in there about 100 yards and then, you know, climbing up and doing my thing. So that plays a key component into an access because I think if I took that, you know, come tromping through the woods, he probably would have heard me and kind of crept out of there, you know, how they'll do. They won't necessarily blow. They'll just kind of ease up and just slip off. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, he didn't see me, so I'm going to get out of here. Now, and Blake, another thing you talked about was how you kind of get out there, you know, I, I would say at, at a pretty good yeah. time, talking about like, you know, two o'clock or so. I mean, yeah. is that... it, was, it, it was still kind of warm, too, you know, but. I said, uh, you know, we had these crazy heat spells. But enough, like I said, yeah, I got off early. And I said, man, I said, I ain't going to go home. I'm just going to head on over there. And then it's going to take me 45 minutes to get to this stand and, you know, creep in there and pull this card and ease up. So instead of going home or like, ah, I'll go, it's too hot right now. I'll slide in there a little while. I never would have killed that deer that day if I'd have done that. So sometimes just whatever your gut's telling you, sometimes it's best to listen to it. <laughs> Oh, for sure. And you, you mentioned earlier, or you mentioned kind of, you know, especially with this deer, how, you know, Andre's episode was something that was impactful for you. You know, what, what about Andre's episode, Andre DeQuisto's episode, you know, kind of gave you a little more confidence with kind of like your setup and what you're trying to do there? For one, like I said, it was the wrong wind. He said, sometimes you just got to roll with it. If you, you know, it's not going to always be right. And secondly, uh, just kind of like the kind of confidence he has, you know, and I was, Feeling kind of cocky, <laughs> you know. I, I had I had one book, so I was like, all right, let's do this thing. 
you know, just I think it kind of starts there too. Because if you if you're like a Hanks, you know, there I don't know why I'm going. You know, you normally you kind of out before you're in the game. So you know, kind of being hopeful and confident, like all right, we're gonna make this happen. This, you know, every the day is the day, every day. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm still hunting. You know. Yeah, we've noticed that too, man. Like the, the confidence factor makes a huge difference. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like like you said, if you if you're not going out with confidence, you're kind of out of the game before it even starts. Yeah, I mean, it's psychological, really. Most of it is, you know, it's physical and psychological. Yeah, and you just you perform better out there when you're very confident. Like when I'm going in, there's times where I'm like always I always think about this. this happened to me a bunch of times last year where I'll get in a certain situation and there's enough sign there and I feel like so confident that I'm like, if you like Andrew, if you just like slow down, take your time and do this right, you will kill a deer today. And usually when I get that feeling and I do end up killing one. Uh, whereas if I'm like kind of upset about the spot, I don't think it's any good. You know, you're sloppy with how you access, you're sloppy with how you set up, yeah. this and that. And I mean, we all still do it. I and mean, we, you know, but some days you're like, all right, I'm just going to do it. What the hell? I'll just, <laughs> I'll just be lazy today if it happens, it happens, if it don't, it don't. And then most times it don't happen. You're like, all right, I need to get back to the basics. Oh yeah. And you know, you talked about early, like early on in this episode, there's a few different episodes that kind of were impactful for you and you said one was uh, mr glenn solomon's episode episode 116 when you yeah. when you listen to that you know you know he talks a lot about hunting thick cover and kind of you know getting in there with them yeah. you know, with these bucks was that something that you used to do previously where i mean were you a guy on like on your properties i like, was not i was not i was lazy i'm gonna flip in here 40 yards and this easy stand and this is where i'm gonna sit it's pretty it's pretty little oak flat and then once i heard that you know getting into the thick stuff it kind of started clicking like all right these deer got to go somewhere when all this pressure kicks in so where are they at they're not here they're not you know they're not in the oak flats and the pretty bottoms and stuff like this so where are they at and then he said that thick stuff and a uh, place where i shot that second book that's another thing that lived there really thick and nasty and it was kind of marshy and some of where i actually shot him at you know you you sinking muck about up to you know halfway up your shin so he kind of liked that stuff you know that that watery kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So it was right off a of creek too, and it was just nasty in there, thick. And I was able actually to get a stand up kind of on a perch. It was looking down into this thick stuff. I was probably I don't know, like a off a seven or eight foot hill, and then it it dropped down again, and then it was kind of flat and just thick and nasty and kind of that marshy kind of deal. Yeah, it just. Oh, it screams deer, <laughs> you know. So, were and you then, like, were you up in the bedding area? Yeah, I had to be. For him, I figured for him to come in that early, I had to be close to his bed. And then another another thing that to it, like I said, I heard, I, like I said, I use, I take a whole bunch of podcasts and kind of put bits and pieces together. It was, uh, it was, I'm a real big believer in the moon phase mm-hmm. and how to fix deer movement and stuff. Um, and it was, it was, I think, a day or two after a new moon. And I heard a guy say, three days before the mornings are good, three days before a new moon, and the evenings are good three days after the new moon. And I think that was the second evening after that new moon that I shot it. Interesting. So that's, another, that's another thing that kind of made me dive in there. So do you do you use any kind of like like uh, apps or anything that tell you like about um, major minor feeding times and stuff like that? Yeah, I use the hunt stand app. 
I just use it kind of really for that one feature, the the whole lunar thing. Yeah. That's really about all I use it for. Have you that seen a lot lunar. of accuracy with it? Oh, yeah, I have. They, they're normally pretty close with the feed times within like an hour. You know, I've noticed that on like four or five occasions. Because like I say, I, I write down, uh, like I say, a log of every hunt. I write down the wind, uh, the barometric pressure. I'm a real big believer in that too. Like when it's, you know, 30.2 and three and up, it was a really good time to be in the woods. I've seen, I think I've seen deer every time it's been like 30.3 and up. I've seen deer and I never really see in none of my places. I never really see big numbers of deer, but I see a better quality deer. You know, I might see two or three, but the third one might be what I'm looking for. Yeah. And this goes back to instance last year. Um, I think it was a full the morning after a full moon. I'm a big proponent in that, you know, uh, hunting heavy after before, like right before and right after full moves because it does affect deer movement. And last year I sat, it was the October 14th. I, I got to stand and said, all right, I'm going to do this all day sit. <laughs> and I got there before daylight. And I think around 10, I seen two does. And here it is, it's, you know, it's early season, so it gets dark close to 8 o'clock or seven something, you know, and I mean, I had like, you know, I was talking to the, the man upstairs. I was like, man, this don't happen. <laughs> you know, time, time's fading. And believe it or not, I had like 10 minutes before I was going to get down and I caught something moving and it was a really nice eight point and I shot it. So I seen, I said all day long, you know, over 12 hours and only seen three deer, but the third one was what, was what I was looking for. Now, was that, no, wait, was that buck number three? No, this was last year. I shot three. Oh, I'm, shot so, three. I'm sorry. Yeah, I shot three eights last year, too. But these three this year were a better quality. Man, you're just killing all kinds of bucks, man. I'm getting them all confused. <laughs> yeah. I think since 2016, I've shot 11 bucks. <laughs> holy crap yeah, it's, yeah and it's awesome being and it's awesome like so a state like south carolina just to let people know how do, how does like the buck like how many buck tags can you get for the state of Al, or for the state of south carolina um you can get up to five they give you three when you purchase your license you get three buck tags and two dope tags and then if you so wish you can buy two more restricted buck tags which means they have to be either four points on one side or at least a 12 inch spread very cool. Very cool. So that, that's awesome for more opportunity for you. Um, now, Blake, kind of getting over to, I want to kind of talk about this uh, buck number three. You know, what's kind of a little low down there? How did that kind of play out? And, uh, you know, kind of what, you know, what did you kind of apply from maybe what you've kind of heard from or learned about that kind of, you know, sealed the deal with that deer? Um, the key component was the wind. Um, I knew, kind of, I figured out hunting which wind I needed. Like I said, I, I figured that out in the preseason and I went in and I this deer had been around, like I said, he was in that same bachelor group as buck number two was I shot. But like I say, buck number two, he relocated. This buck kinda of hung around and I knew it was November sixth. And I knew that was kind of that sweet time around here. Kind of last week October. The first two weeks of November are probably the hottest times of the whole season. And it was, it really wasn't a cold morning, but I knew I waited. I wanted to go there previously, but the wind went right. So I waited and waited and I saw it coming. I said, okay, I'm going to slide in here this morning. And, um, you know, my kids, you know, my kids and my wife, we, if I go hunting anymore, we all leave the house at the same time. 
it's just it's hectic, <laughs> you know, when you try to do that with small children and school and all this stuff. So we were talking on my way over there, and I, you know, it goes back to the confidence thing. I told her, I said, I'm gonna kill that bit this morning, and I think I got over there, and about he come, it was probably 20 minutes after daylight, about 6:50. I was watching, um, I was watching another little, like a little spike to my left. And I kind of caught some up my eye, and he raised his head up. It was just a small field. I mean, like I said, it's just broom straw grass in it. And I noticed that, aside that when that grass is higher, they feel a lot more comfortable walking in it versus when it's cut. That's just another little tidbit. I kind of picked up on, I've seen a lot more deer in it this year with it not being cut versus last year being cut. But um, I slid in there that morning. I needed a, a north northeast wind. And I had a north-northeast, and it sealed the deal for him. He was on the ground by 7 o'clock. So what was, uh, like, the rest of the habitat around there like? I mean, you're talking about, like, this field um, that's kind of like broom sedge or whatever, but what about around that field? Uh, inside the wood line, it probably goes probably 100 yards and then just the neighbor's property. But he had a – I don't know when he cut it, but it was a small clear cut probably – four or five acres that was cut and then around that it was like super thick it, it dropped off into a creek bottom and coming back up the hill towards me i mean it's just like crawl on your hands and knees thick and then like i said it, it had some oats kind of mixed in there with it pretty much kind of prime time bedding which you would think like all right let's these deer in there you know i got the bedding but i don't really have the food at that time I mean, yes, the acres, but I didn't dive in there because I felt like it was too risky to try to get in there at that creek bottom with them. So I was kind of forced to sit off that field, you know, where I'd, I feel like that's where I'd have the best opportunity at versus trying to slide in there in the morning and blow them out. So uh, was he was he going to or coming from that thick cover? He, he actually come from it with a doe. Oh, okay. So, Love yeah, got that, killed. Yeah, because after I shot him, this doe hung around for like 30 minutes just kind of staring at him like, why ain't you getting up? <laughs> and I was almost tempted to roll her. I said, she blew twice. I said, you blow again, you're going to go. So uh, <laughs> she, made, she made the right decision to get out of there before she blew again. But, yeah, she got him uh, She got him killed. Uh, now, is that like – so is that like uh, th- th- this field that you hunted in that thicket, are you hunting like a – is that like the closest other thick cover to that the thicket that he came from, or uh, is it like a travel corridor? Like what? What does yeah, it look it's like? A, it's a travel corridor. Like the I can only see one part of the field because it drops down on the other end and it's, it kind of flattens out. You know, so I'm up on the higher end, and they just kind of I found trails back in off season. I still got I put out two cameras that I left down there. And I was going to check them out to see, you know, just kind of see what historical data I can get from, you know, them cameras. I set one on video, just I set one on video off a trail, and then I put one on uh, picture mode with, uh, I think, three photo bursts on another trail towards the end of it. Versus I put the uh, I put the video camera on a trail right by the creek where there's a crossing, where I could tell they were crossing, you know, from one side to the other. So I felt like. It had all the kind of perfect and diversity of habitat, too, you know, with 
some clumps of pines here and then it's cut over and then it's kind of oak bottom and then this this thick you know hill coming back up towards me i figured them deer would bed down in that and then i'd have to catch them either coming out of bed in the morning or going back to it later in the morning because i've noticed that too if i don't see them early like i say if it's a bright moon like it has been i won't see deer till at least 9 30 in the morning and on and i catch them coming back to bed and then that morning i shot them they were coming out of it because like i said it was 20 30 minutes right after daylight now blake one thing that you talked about earlier uh, which i wanted to touch on was uh, how much you know postseason scouting and preseason scouting you put in this year is that something that you would normally do in years past it is not i am I'm telling you, I'm wore out right now. I've been going. <laughs> our season ended January the 1st, and I've been going ever since then. It's actually the rest time when hunting season actually comes. Because I built, not only, like I said, I hung the stands, and I mean, you know, pri- private property, it's, you know, a lot kind of goes into that too. And like I said, I don't have like the equipment and stuff to do like food plots and all that. So I don't have any green fields or anything, you know. And I do put corn out, but that's to kind of keep an inventory, not really hunt. You know, I might put corn out and leave it for two weeks, you know, and never hunt it. Just to kind of get an idea what's in the area. And I don't have to get a lot of pictures of a deer. I just need one or two that lets me know he's in the area. And that's paid off in the past on five or six deer. You know, particularly uh, one I shot in 2017 um, is well, I ain't put the tape on any of the deer that I shot this year, but I, I kind of learned that with him. I get a picture here and there that just let me know he was in the area, and I ended up killing him early season two, and he was 133 inches. Oh, wow, yeah. So one thing that I want to kind of end this with is uh, you, you talked a lot about your postseason scouting and how beneficial that was to you, and something that me and Jacob and Michael have been talking about a lot is, you know, coming out of this season in about a month or two, we want to really hammer down on the postseason scouting and get even more prepared for next year. So what would you oh, tell yeah. us as long as, as well as other listeners to focus on, you know, postseason scouting? Uh, focus on, uh, mainly like trails and just doing, getting out of your comfort zone. You know, if you got a certain way, you know, everybody's different, a certain way they like to hunt. I don't blame anybody that wants to go, you know, you want to go watch a corn pile for four hours every other day, that's fine. But just get out of your comfort zone and kind of do something different, especially if things ain't working for you how you think they should be. What do you got to lose? I mean, if, you, if you're not doing, if you're not accomplishing what you want to do now, what is doing something different going to hurt So just, just doing something different, if, you know, and exploring. Say, all right, I'm going to find this piece. I got, you know, this 35, 40 acres, whatever it is. I'm going to walk the whole thing. I'm going to walk the perimeter, and then I'm going to go in. And kind of just, you know, running cameras, too. I, in, the, in the previous years, I ran maybe five or six. And like I said, I ran 16 this year. So just kind of gather all the intel. And then I've seen where, you know, what you learned this year about a certain deer that maybe you didn't kill. Like he was in a certain place this time of year. You know, carrying that over to the next year and actually killing the deer because that happened in one scenario last year. I, you know, previous year I saw a deer in a certain spot around the time, and I went back in there the following year, 
And I think within like two days of that time, I shot to kill the buck. Yeah, so it's all, it's all about the historical data and always be learning yeah. stuff for next year. Don't focus so much on this year. I mean, focus yeah, on this year, this, but this playing is, for years yeah. to come. Yeah, because this thing's almost done. And I'm thinking about, all right, I can go in here, what I need to, you know, I want to check this out, you know, because you're going to see stuff that, like, all right, these deer, you could have an idea in mind, but then, you know, you kind of have to go off what the deer are doing, too. And, you know, kind of, you have to go to the deer sometimes, <laughs> you know, then. I know you want them to be here, but that don't mean they're going to come. So you have to be like, you know, seeing if I've, in the past, I've had, man, like one year, I think I saw like one deer all year long. <laughs> I ain't kidding. One deer. And I hunted hard, dude. You know, so I was like, this, this just ain't it. <laughs> so I got to do something different. And I just started kind of gradually getting better as time went on. And then, like I said, once I started listening to like podcasts such as self, I kind of started learning you know, uh, like I never heard of this before and I never heard this before and just kind of trying it for yourself because everything is not going to work for you. But you find out one or two things, if you give them the work, it could help you kill a buck you've been looking for. Blake, I've got a question for you, especially in a state like South Carolina, which is a state you can bait in on private land. Uh, and then, of course, there's other states in Southeast like that as well, you know, Georgia and Alabama uh, yeah. being two of the others and Arkansas as well. Um uh, your style of hunting, or you're, you, again, you're using, you got corn out on camera, trying to see kind of when deer are coming through and kind of playing that to your advantage to kind of hunt the perimeters and, and kind of figure out just how deer are coming through an area. How, how does your, and I'm not trying to put like anybody, any of your buddies on the spot or anything like that, but like the general sense of hunting over there in private land, is most guys focusing just on corn piles? And if oh, yeah, and, if so, how does that? How does their success on killing like mature bucks compare to kind of like what you've kind of experienced of the last year or two? Uh, yeah, corn is like I feel like if you don't like if you don't put out corn, you're just behind the eight ball, you know. And I kind of have to now, like say to keep the inventory because I don't have food plots. Or I kind of December is normally tougher for me because you have to really like find these there, you know. And like I said, I went this evening and didn't see anything, but um, a lot of people around here. If you sold corn, man, you can make a million dollars in a hunting season <laughs> because it just disappears. And everybody, you know, a buck will only come, he knows that corn and fall out the sky. So he knows, you know, somebody's putting it here. And that's why mostly they come in at night, you know, mostly nighttime pictures on corn. And then another thing that goes with that is like overpressuring the corn. So they, they put out the corn and then they're going to hunt the same stand three to four days a week, you know. And it just it just never ends bad. You can you can cure deer off corn, but it's not a consistent thing. I'm all about being consistent. Yeah, and that, anybody, you know, you, you can get lucky here and there, but doing it year in and year out every year is you know that's kind of the goal for me. Yeah, that's Killing the reason. Bucks. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's why I asked that. I was just real curious because we've had other guys on listening to success stories from different states where, you know, baiting is a, is a really big part of just kind of like the style yeah. of hunting there. And, and it's amazing mm-hmm. when I hear guys are like, yeah, like everybody baits, but when you, you know, kind of look at it from a different picture or a different perspective where, you know, these mature bucks aren't really hitting the, the corn piles or the bait piles during daylight hours. So you have to hunt the fringes. You have to figure out where yeah. that buck's spending time at. The corn just lets you know, and the camera just lets you know, hey, he's somewhere yeah. around here. You know, he might be yeah. a mile from here. He might be 200 yards from here, but it lets you know yeah. you're in the game. Yeah, corn is just an inventory tool mainly. I think that's what it serves his best purpose as. Because, like I said, you can kill deer off of it, 
you know, little, you can shoot spikes all day long in little baskets, you know, fours and sixes. They come to it all day long. But the the top deer in your area, chances are you're not going to kill it on that corn pile. Let me just wrap it up with this. You know, what's a, let's say, uh, you know, for any of the new, maybe new listeners that's listened to the show, you know, we've had a lot of listeners just tuning in the last just couple, you know, couple months. I mean, some I've had reach out to us this last couple of weeks, start listening to the show. Um, what would you tell those guys or, or even uh, those women out there that listen to the show? Because come, come to find out, I actually have a decent amount of women that listen to the show. Um, well, you know, what piece of advice would you give them, especially if it's maybe like their first couple weeks or months listening to the show? How can they kind of start applying some as to where they're hunting but not get kind of, you know, so bombarded with all the stuff that comes yeah. at them? Because everybody we have on, I came to find out after talking to a couple newer hunters listening to the show, it can be very, very overwhelming for them. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. Like I said, because – if you're hearing all this for the first time, it's a lot to take in. You know, you can only retain so much information, you know, on a certain subject before you start losing something from it. And I tell people to, I think my biggest thing is pay attention to the wind. Because you can you can blow a hunt before it even starts. You know, if you know you shouldn't, like I said, if you can maybe do it once or twice like I've done that one time. And I tried it again after that, and it didn't work. <laughs> so it was just that one right time. So overall, the gist of it is pay attention to the wind and just, you know, put in the work in the off season. Because, you know, I have a lot of people tell me, like, man, you, you know, you've been, like, lucky. You know, you don't know how many times I heard that. <laughs> and I tell them the same thing. Um, I, I busted my tail over the summer and in the off season to kind of get goals and you know, scouting more and just trying to learn all I can. Just be a woodsman. That's what. That's the best thing. Be a woodsman. You know, just trying to understand how things work. And that's another personal goal of mine. If I see a deer, why did I see this deer? Why did I see him? And what was he? What was he? Or what was she doing? And you know, why? That's that's my question for everything. Why? Why this? And why that? You know, once you start, once you can start figuring out them whys and answering yourself, man, you can, it's game on there. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, Blake, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, I, I hope you can uh, fill those last two buck tags you got. Man, I appreciate it, and uh, thank y'all for allowing me to come and chat with y'all for a little while, and I hope y'all kill them hammers down there. Hey, everybody. We've got Andrew's old lady on here, Tiffany Max. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> Anyways, we've, we've I'm got, definitely we, only 22. <laughs> You're we, the old one. We, we've got some new merchandise that we've got to uh, share with you all, and uh, Tiffany wants to go over that with us. Yeah, we have some new merchandise up on the store. We have the blaze orange hat, the leather patch hat, and then some new sale items up, including that blue hat that looks really good if you have blue eyes. Why is this would be the perfect thing to put under the tree for your husband this year? So make sure you go to thesouthernoutdoorsman.com forward slash shop. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.